welcome to Lockbox, a podcast providing real estate professionals with action items for success. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I'm going to be your host. I'm the founder of two real estate marketing and tech companies, Steezy.Digital and RealNurture.io. In this podcast, you'll learn from top 1% real estate and mortgage brokers the exact secrets to their success. Welcome to Lockbox. Welcome to Lockbox. My name is Jeffrey Broger, and I am here today with Jonathan Green. Jonathan, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, Jeffrey, thanks so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Look forward to the conversation. Likewise. So why don't you first start off and tell our listeners who you are and where you're from? Yep. Again, my name is Jonathan Green. I actually run a big real estate on-market team called Streamline Properties On-Market. We're brokered by eXp Realty. We're headquartered in New Jersey. We service the whole state of New Jersey, uh, the Philadelphia area of Pennsylvania, Catskills in New York, and Elko, Nevada. I originally grew up in Brooklyn. I live in Mendham, New Jersey now, but I've lived, I lived in Florida for 14 years and I've lived in a lot of places and had a few other careers before this one. Uh, but that's a general backstory. And I've been an investor. So I've been real investing in real estate for more than 30 years. And that's how it eventually led me into full-time as an agent and team leader. Awesome. Yeah. Great summary. And what got you into real estate in the beginning? What was that first exposure to the power of real estate? I mean, investing as a kid, I used to go uh, with my dad looking at foreclosures. My dad was a lawyer as I am a former lawyer, uh, but he really was focused on investing. So we would always be riding in the car on the weekends, going to yard sales and going to foreclosures. And I didn't know what was going on, but I was in a lot of houses and we always moved because he always fixed the house and then we got it the way we wanted and then we moved. So I think like I have had more exposure than most at an early age. And, you know, after careers in law and the art world and then in teaching, I decided to get my license. And my sister was like, yeah, why didn't you do this 20 years ago? Like, what are you even thinking? And I was like, oh, okay. Um, So for me, the transition from like investor or real estate advisor uh, to being an agent was very, very easy. So I know I had the benefit of a, a wealth of experience in real estate. So transitioning to the agent business was... I, I mean, I think it was easy, but I do think overall, uh, the agent business is way harder than anybody thinks, you know, oh, yeah. it's, it's way different than what people expect, you know, deals falling from the sky. And if you're, you know, you know, like we were talking in the pre-call, like if you want to be in the top 1%, like you have to be a service provider and we bill ourselves on our team as real estate advisors, we're not salespeople. We make sales, but we make sales because we give good advice. And I think I, I kind of came into real estate with, with that mindset and that's helped me grow to where I am now. Excellent. Yes, I couldn't agree more that from the outside looking in, real estate seems like everyone drives a nice car and it's really easy to make a lot of money. So, uh, you know, I'm going to get into that. I'm going to go do that. That's why also most agents by far don't make it through their first year or two in the business because they don't realize how much work it really is. And if you don't partner with a good team, get some good fundamentals and support, then you're just out there on your own trying to reinvent the wheel and try and go sell some, some real estate. And by the way, this is, we've heard it a thousand times, still true. It's these people's most important asset in 99% of cases. So, you know, to come in and experience, not get the mentorship and support from a team, uh, it's really, it's a dangerous thing to do for, for people. So we see it all the time and you know what, I'll admit it. I'll, I'll be vulnerable here. I have been an investor for over 10 years and I have owned a real estate digital marketing company. I got my license within the last year. And then going into the commercial world, getting mentorship and realizing, my gosh, this is not a part-time thing. 
Exactly. Like, I, I, I can't spend an hour and a half a day making phone calls and build, try and build up this team around me. And that's it. I really need to be able to go drive out to properties, go actually meet with sellers, go actually have conversations throughout the day at different times of day, not just like this regimented part-time thing that even with my organization skills and my sales ability, I still couldn't make it work in that regard. And so it really is like, if you're going to do this, partner with a good team and be ready to go full-time and really do this for a year, pretty much without getting paid um, for that first year, because it's going to take a while to get the ball rolling. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I have 31 agents on my team now. We do allow some part-timers, but for 2023, we're phasing out part-time as a giving them leads. We will allow them to be showing assistance. But what we found is something that you touched on before. Most real estate transactions are the biggest sole transaction and asset of somebody's life. So why would they entrust it to someone who has their foot half in the business? You know, if you have a nice car, you don't take it to the guy who has like a rinky dink shop, you want to make sure. And I'm, I'm not saying you always take it to the dealer because they're going to crush you on the fees, but you take it to someone who's an expert. So what I'm trying to train my agents to do and what I think is the kind of the bane of existence in the business and why real estate agents have a bad name, we're trying to train them to be experts, expert advisors and know the market better than anyone. And I tell them every day, I can train you to know more than every single agent in your marketplace in 30 days, if you just do what I say, and it'll only take five to 10 minutes a day. And it's it's whether you're willing to do that. Like you said, you have to do way more than that. It's not just that, but you can appear to be an expert based on your knowledge, but most people aren't going to do the work. And most people get into the business thinking it's going to be easy. Like you said, it's not a part-time thing. And I think the most important thing that you can find, like for anyone out there who's looking for an agent or agent looking for a team or how to upgrade their business, you have to treat it like a business, not a job. If you treat it like mm-hmm. a job, everybody knows it and they know you're just looking for the commission. You know, we don't have commission breath. We want to nurture the relationships and get to the end. And that's what full-time business people do. And we can take that to an industry that maybe has looked at a different way and change the landscape and then create. And, and I think when you do that, you know, you're in marketing, you do that when you have that type of reputation, you can market less because people are coming to you because you have systems, processes, you know, back end services and the professionalism that maybe you don't get across real estate. And I think that's where we're succeeding now. Sure. Yeah. There's a cumulative effect to success in a market. And, you know, many real estate professionals see the the top 1% in their market that have this 20 year momentum and, you know, they're benefiting from the decade or two of brand awareness advertising they've done as well as the goodwill they built within the community, within their sphere, and they're continuing to nurture that. However, it is still important to continue marketing because most people forget the real estate professional they worked with four years ago when they're ready to, to buy or sell again. Of course. And if, if you haven't made any touches since then, they're going to do what over 80% of people do, which is work with the first agent they meet when they're ready. (laughs) So you definitely have to keep in touch with them and stay in front of them. Everybody knows 10 real estate agents. They just may choose a bad one. You know, with fortunes in the follow-up, everybody says it. We want to nurture. Our nurture isn't just to get clients to close. Our nurture is how can we help them after they close because then they're going to call us later. But we want to, again, we want to be advisors. So that means we're going to line you up with contractors, whatever you need. You need a house cleaner, you need a home organizer, whatever you want. We're going to take care of it. And we're always going to set those touches just to make sure we call, you know, call or email, text everybody on the one-year anniversary. Obviously a lot before. But on the one year anniversary of the home sale, we always want to send them a home value 
if it's up, which in these markets after this year, it might be hard to do, but uh, you know, we're always want to check in at those milestones, but also just across the board, make sure that we know stuff about their life, connect with them on social after and build a friendship that will last. And that's what turns into referrals without having to, you know, ask for referrals is that, that follow up and that kind of ability to just be a part of somebody's life after helping them do a transaction. Yeah. No, makes total sense. And to give my listeners context, because most of my listeners are real estate professionals, uh, you know, how many transactions did your team do last year? And and then what advice would you give to real estate mortgage brokers who want to break into that that next level? Yeah. So, I mean, last year was our first full year with this team. I have had another team at a, at a different brokerage. So we did 142 deals last year, uh, awesome. about... 40 of those were referral deals uh, where we're sending out or taking in. Uh, our volume was somewhere like 36 million. Our GCI was about 900K. We should be 1.5 to 2X on that this year. Um, but I think that the, the biggest scale in team building is finding the right agents. So over two, three years, you're kind of moving the pieces around and then adjusting your backend services and adding more full-time staff to provide a different experience for uh, the consumer out there. You know, so for agents, I think like in real estate right now, everything is about teams. I don't know why everybody is not on a team if they don't already have existing business because you can't compete with the lead sources right now. All the leads are coming to teams. They're not sending leads to solo agents because they can't answer the phone and catch that fire hose of leads that's coming in all the time. So um, that's where the services come in on the back end. And um, I think, you know, as a solo agent, there's only so much you can do. You can hire, you know, an assistant and a transaction coordinator, but you can't be in two places at once. So to grow your business, you're eventually going to need more agents. And that's just the way that I eventually want to scale out of doing production and just be, you know, managing uh, in that what we would generally call a CEO role. Sure. So question about the transition from high-performing solo agent to team leader. At what either transaction volume or, you know, sales volume would you recommend making that transition saying, I've kind of hit the limit of what I can do on my own with an admin and a TC, I really need to start thinking about becoming a manager and recruiting. Like what, what is that, that transition point in your opinion? I mean, I think it's also tied to mindset. Like I like building things. I like building teams. So regardless of my volume, I was going to build stuff. I wanted to build mm -hmm. a team because I'm a coach as well. So I knew that I can coach and help people become better agents. So that helps me scale. I do think people might make a mistake by tying a volume and then thinking that they can lead a team uh, because mm -hmm. leading a team is, you know, becoming Very different. No offense to all of my team members, but you sometimes are a high-end babysitter because in real estate, there's just a lot personalities and things. So you have to know what you're in for. So I do think there is scale on your numbers to when you want to add in support. But I, I don't think that everybody's cut out to run a team. And I don't think everybody understands what it takes to run a team, just like they don't understand what it takes to get into the business. If you're going to just make a team and expect everyone to do everything and not coach them and train them every day, you're not going to be a successful team. We train one hour a day coaching every single day in masterminds. And there's tons and tons of chats and everything. We have hundreds and hundreds of videos uh, that our agents can watch when they're new, when they come on. We have onboarding procedures. You know, we have team success manager, team growth manager. So I do think, you know, when you're doing you know, more than about 20 transactions a year, you're probably starting to run yourself a little bit thin. 
But again, I think that there are people who don't want to manage a team. And at that point, you're just kind of getting agents who can help you. You know, maybe you have a showing assistant and you're going to pay them a different way. Uh, but running a team is a whole different beast. And I don't think, you know, not just qualified by, by volume. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. My experience with running a team comes from my sales experience at Cutco. And right out of high school, you know, they had a very linear path. So that's why I asked that question, because I think it could be unclear in real estate. When should I, you know, start to look at doing a team? When do I have enough experience to do that and make that decision? Or if I want to just continue being more of a solo agent and Cutco is a 70 plus year old company. So they had their sales recruiting, everything dialed. I mean, it, it was so clear the path, like, okay, at this point in career sales, you get this bump in commission. Right. That, 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 all the way up. And then at, at that time, it was 30,000 in career sales. You become a field sales manager. And now you have the choice. You either become what's called a Cutco sales professional. You continue selling on your own and you get at the highest commission rate. Or you begin down the assistant management path and see if you like doing more of a management role. And for me, I could sell and I could build relationships. I could keep in touch. I could make the phone calls. But I found that when I took the management role and was communicating with my team members, inspiring them to do something that they never knew they were capable of and helping to hold them accountable to what they said in the beginning when they were interviewing, sitting across the desk from me and just holding them accountable to the best version of themselves that they portrayed in that interview, not just six months later when they're burnt out and not performing. Yeah, I, I said, you know, when I was able to make those connections, drive the whole ship and generate a hundred sales rather than one. Cause I spent that hour, you know, on a demo rather than spend that hour with the team. I found it so much more fulfilling and impactful. Yeah. So since then I've, I've really chosen more of that, that management style of role, but it's, it's not for everyone. It really isn't. I know guys that 10 years ago when I was in that went the cut sales professional route and they're making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, multiple six figures selling knives in the Cutco sales professional role. Yeah. So they went a different route, but it resonated with them. I think it's important what you mentioned. And that's why I wanted to elaborate on that, that there is a, a split in personality and it requires a different personality to be the sales professional as opposed to the manager. I, I completely agree. And I think that, you know, what you said is important for me, there's one of me, I think as a real estate agent, I'm, I'm very, very good, you know, in the top tier, but what if I could train 30 agents at a time to be miniature versions of me and then put their own spin on it? Then I can create 30x what I would just by myself, like you said. So, and I like coaching. I was a standalone mm -hmm. coach, and obviously I coach my team all the time. But I think that you have to, I, and I also, I like building things. I like the idea of building a team and making scale. And the, the truth is I do like the money that you can make from real estate, but I much prefer the idea in my head that I'm trying to raise the bar in real estate by training agents to be in the top tier of ethical behavior and professionalism. And if we can do that, you know, like you said, we'll still market, but we're marketing off accomplishments and we're not having to spend as much on outbound marketing to say, hey, work with us because we're full up. So we have lead sources that are pouring leads in and referrals coming in all the time. So we're just trying to be the best at it. And I think to your point, how we got on this part is I can do that best by training my agents to be the best and then bringing people under me who can help me train them to be the best and identifying when someone 
needs to come out of production and go into a management role, which is something that we just did, because they're going to help me. They're going to help the team and they're going to enjoy it better. Just like you did when you're out of all the sales and helping other people make the sales. That's right. Absolutely. So moving on to your entrepreneurial habits, what is the single most important action you take on a daily basis that attributes most to your success? I mean, I think it's kind of twofold. One's for real estate and one's for the mindset. For me, it's it's been meditation. I mean, I've been, I don't even, I'm at like 1700 days consecutive of wow. you know, between now I'm, I'm always do 30, 30 minutes a day for about the last two or three years, but that all started however many, you know, five years ago or so, but it's just the activity that that's the first thing I do every day. When I wake up, I do it. I get out of bed or in bed and I just do three different meditations, headspace, calm and Peloton. And then that just sets the tone for the day. And I think because I was a trial attorney, I like to fight for a better word. I was used to negotiating and fighting, but in order to do that in real estate, I can't use the same principles. It's a little, I need to be calm going into anything and to, to run my team. I need to be calm to do real estate deals that fall apart all the time. I need to be calm and meditation is a thing that just sets the day for me. On the other side, something that we touched on before, it's the one action that I can tell any real estate agent in the country to do that will make them know more than every single agent in their market in 30 days is to do your market research. Every day I wake up and I look in the counties that I work in the most, and I just look at what sold yesterday and what was listed today. That's it. If you do that every day, you'll know more than every agent in your area. It's it's not even a if, it's a guarantee. I 100% guarantee it because nobody does that. Nobody's going to do it every day. And then when you have hot intake leads like we do, we get 240 leads a month from Zillow Flex. When we're on calls, I already know all the properties. My agents know the properties. So if someone's calling on 123 Main Street, we've at least already looked it up and see that it's three bed, two bath. And we know when offers are due, we're just ahead of the curve. And the thing for real estate agents, the most important thing about doing that daily market research is it gives you the confidence that you need when you're at the grocery store or somewhere and someone brings up real estate and they're like, oh, I wonder how the market is. And you can right away say, or they say like, oh, I saw that house on Prospect Street. It just went up for sale. And you can say, actually, it sold for this amount. They're like, oh, you're just adding value by knowing the market. And so for all of my agents, they pick one town. All I want them to do is know that one town better than anyone else to start. And if you do yeah. that, you'll be the number one agent knowledge-wise in your town. And then you'll have the confidence to step up inside the town and do the business. So that's my business one that I think any agent can do. And I'm telling you, 30 days, no one will know more than you about the specific market. They may know more right. about you about real estate, but not about the town that you're focused in. Great point. So twofold. The second one first, because I think it's a quicker sure. response, is regarding the market research. I was told the same thing from my mentor. I was trying to say, I asked questions like, what are multifamily properties selling for in Orange County? What kind of cap rates are they doing? Uh, this and that and the other. What, what price per door? I want, I want to know this stuff. And he said, just look at the sales for the last two years <laughs> and every single day, check again for new sales. Exactly. Go online and download the broker's OM that is listing this. And they probably have already pulled comps for other similar properties. Like there's so much information out there that you can just digest and download. And I actually did it. So when I did that process, 
my confidence as a new agent went from, gosh, I don't know. I don't really want to get on the, I had call reluctance. I don't really want to get on the phone and talk to this guy who's a savvy investor because I don't know shit. <laughs> to yeah. be honest with you. Right, but now, to, now you have value. From that to, yes, now I have value. And my calmness and confidence was, my demeanor completely changed. And yeah. I'm like, wow. So testament to, to your second tip there. I'd like to go deeper on the first tip though, sure. meditation, if that's okay. Yeah, of course. So my experience with meditation has been hit or miss over the last 10 years. I first was exposed to it really I mean, after college, uh, read a book about meditation, read the power of now, read you know certain things that prove the point of focusing on breath and anchoring in the moment. Love that concept. Uh, and then afterwards, got more into Tony Robbins, did some, like went to Unleash the Power Within. He taught me priming uh, where you like, <laughs> you like do three sets of 30 of like breathing in and out of your nose and jumping yeah. up and down and like get your heart rate up. And then you like sit down and you go through this process of envisioning a, a specific memory in the past that you're extremely grateful for. And then, you know, it, there's this whole step-by-step procedure that, that you go through in order yeah. to then get into that specific state of Zen or whatever you want to call it. I'm curious, you mentioned headspace, you mentioned calm and you mentioned Peloton. Yep. So are, are these the, the actual tactics you're using, like the headspace app, the calm app, and then you're getting on Peloton. The, yep. the, that's your, your procedure every day. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I do want to say like meditation is important to me, but I'm not strict because there's a lot of stuff going on. So when I meditate, I just do it first thing. It's not perfect. I'm not sitting on a, on a mat with my legs crossed and my, you know, everything perfect. Uh, sometimes I'm laying in bed. Sometimes I'm looking at my phone while I'm listening. I, I'm not strict on it because I only need what I need out of it. Would I like to be fully present? Yeah, I am. But like, I'm also getting my day started. So the way it works for me is I just know I'm going to do around 10 minutes of each and I'm going to carefully listen. If my mind wanders, I'm not going to be hard on myself, but I never, ever start the day without 30 minutes of that going through my head. And it just sinks in. It creates a level of calm. Uh, and I always share it into my Instagram stories. People always ask me like, why do you share that stuff? My Instagram stories are for me. I like to, at the end of the day, look back and see what I did. And to see that I did those every day is important to me. I don't care what, I mean, it's cool when other people are looking, but like I, social media to me is part marketing. But when it comes to something like Instagram, at least on my personal account, like that stuff's just there for me. If other people are looking, that's awesome too. But uh, I like to look back at my stories and, and part of that is tracking my meditation every day. And, you know, I like using the apps because it will tell me, you know, you've done whatever, 1600 days in a row. I just crossed a thousand and calm. And, and Peloton, I, you know, if I'm, I, I do everything in there, but that's just specifically meditation. And then I'll, you know, do the exercise hopefully later in the day if I'm not too busy, which unfortunately has been happening too, too much recently. Yeah, no, that, that's great. And I, I like how it's not rigid, but it's consistent. You said like 1700 days in a row, you know, so having that consistency, just the sheer fact of doing it kind of puts you in that state it it reminds your body oh this is how i'm supposed to feel at this time it's a habit that you've yep. established and and that's great i do believe a lot of value is is in meditation to be discovered for those that seek it and it's something that when i do it i'm happier and so i don't know yeah. why i don't do it more often <laughs> yeah yeah i think it's a time thing for me 
you know, originally I put it on my schedule and then everything's on. I might have like the most organized Google calendar ever, but once I get comfortable with something like now, I just know I don't do anything before I do that. You know, and like mm. you said in the, I mean, everything in real estate business life is all baby steps. If I take the baby steps one day, you turn around, it's 1700 days later and you haven't missed. And that's, you know, that's how it, what, how can it not be sinking in? It, it, yeah. It's not possible. So um, I look at that for every part of my business. And I think, you know, for, for new agents and for my agents and my new agents, it's the same thing. Can you do these little things like the market research every day? Can you make your calls? Can you be consistent? And the more consistent you are, the more successful you will be. I mean, there's just, there's nothing around it. Like you said earlier, we don't need to reinvent the wheel to do this. There's, I like to put my own spin on everything, but like, Real estate isn't that hard in general. It's just hard because people don't want to work hard or treat it like a business. But if you just follow things that everybody else is doing that work and then spin it on your own personality, you will be successful, but you need to work for it. Yeah, absolutely. So I'm curious what your projections are for the next five, 10 years. You mentioned a couple of things in this podcast, which I thought were interesting. Number one, you mentioned we call home buyers a year after and we talk to them about the the new equity report where we send a new equity report to them but in today's market that might not be there that they've increased in equity which is one thing that you're alluding to there but then yep. the other thing you mentioned also is this shift towards the team environment and away from the brokerage environment and so i'm curious what your like 5 10 year projections are and you know if you had a crystal ball what would it say uh, one, I'll get to one thing that I know everybody talks about right off the bat. Real estate agents aren't going to be eliminated. Like, I'm sorry, I'm too good at what I do to be eliminated from the business and a, and a robot or an AI or some type of algorithm, predictive analytics isn't taking me out of the business. I couldn't be less worried about that. Are there other things that are going to become automated that might make my job easier? Sure. And I'm going to embrace those and put them into my practice, but I, I'm not getting eliminated. Robots aren't going to control real estate. Uh, I just don't think that's the way it's going to go. Uh, I do think from one of your points, everything to me in real estate now is scaling towards a team model. Teams make way more money than brokerages per person. Brokerages don't make very much money per person. Brokerages provide an umbrella for us with big teams. So we don't have to pay E&O and have offices and, you know, pay the extra things. But, you know, my team branding is out there ahead of my brokerage. Not to say any, there's nothing negative about my brokerage. It's just that I'm doing all the work. My team's the value. The brokerage is there in the background to give me support services, but we have all the support services. So for real estate agents, I don't know why if any real estate agents who's new, the only reason they don't go on a team is because they don't want to double split. They don't want to split with the brokerage and split with the team. And then it's the same question every time to a new agent. Well, how many deals have you done? Zero. How many leads do you have coming in? Zero. Great. Well, your first split of zero is going to be zero. Or you can have you know this many deals and coaching coming in and you'll probably make 10 times the amount because it's going to be against zero. Um, so I see that going. Uh, I do think there's going to be, uh, I wouldn't say a housing bubble, and I don't think there's going to be a gigantic downturn. But I think because people have been buying so high the last two years, there's definitely going to be some equity reduction and people who, if they have to sell, you know, because of job transfer in about a year, 
could be a problem in some markets. You know, mm. uh, one of our main markets in Montclair, New Jersey, that thing's just topped out. I mean, things are going two, three, four, five, six hundred thousand dollars over asking, you know, and people are waiving appraisal. So just imagine this scenario. Say you waive appraisal on buying a property, you buy it for a million, it appraises for eight hundred, you waived appraisal, so you have to give two hundred K back. And then the market doesn't go anywhere. And then the market just takes a regular, you know, dip, and then your regular value is eight hundred. But you just lost two hundred thousand in cash that you put in, and now you want to refi out, but you paid a million. So now your refi value is eight hundred, and you lose another two hundred, and you already burnt the cash. So I mean, it's it you know, as advisors, we're don't trying not to tell people to waive appraisal. You're going to be in a problem later. Some markets are sustainable. I mean, obviously in California, some of those markets, nothing's going to go down, but you just have to be careful in markets that aren't, you know, for us built on the trains or they're outward or you're overpaying in an area where you just bought the highest price point in the entire town ever. <laughs> it's not a good sign. It's just yeah. not, you know, it's not, uh, I don't think there's going to be a big, you know, big boom or anything, but you know, I think that my job in real estate, running a team, training agents and helping buyers, sellers, investors is to go with whatever the market's going to go with. I, I can only be guessing, but if it takes a downturn, then I'm going to adjust around that. If it goes up like it has the last two years, we have to adjust around that and try to figure out how we can help our buyers wins without, you know, fleecing their whole life uh, to just get an offer accepted. Sure. Yeah. It makes a lot of sense. And I have a similar sentiment where you can only pay 200, 300, 400 K over asking an appraisal for so long, <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's not a sustainable market. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's just a lot of interesting tailwinds. I think we could talk about that forever, but, you know, moving on, I think that what you said is very valid and moving on to, you know, some of your team structure today, I'm curious, what's your number one, most profitable lead generation source? Oh, it's not even close. It's Zillow Flex. I mean, Flex is an additional product from Zillow built for big teams. You know, the, we call it the fire hose. And, you know, I told all my agents, like, I, I heard it's a fire hose for my friends. So you need to be ready. And like, there's way more water coming out than we thought. I mean, we're get, you know, I only have 31 agents and not all of them are full time and we're getting 240 leads a month. Average price point is 600K. So, you know, just processing all the leads and answering all the calls is a challenge. But I've always had a good relationship with Zillow. I know people crash them all the time, but like, look, their job is to, give me the best leads. The leads are great. So I don't have any complaints. It's a, it's a referral percentage model when you're in flex. So I don't have to pay monthly. If I was paying monthly for the amount of leads, I'd be paying like $60,000 a month. So uh, how can I complain about paying, you know, whatever the percentage is when we close, like I'm lucky to have those leads. So we do have plenty of other lead source. We're very good with inside referrals and agent sphere business, but I mean, if you have a team and you're getting 240 leads a month, you're doing pretty well. And, you know, the more agents we add, the more we can upgrade that. It also helps that we cover the whole state of New Jersey. So we're pretty much covered in, in all the counties. Uh, but that's why we're recruiting in all the counties to make sure we have enough to make sure we can answer all the calls when they come. Awesome. Yeah, that makes total sense. And, you know, that's another benefit of having a larger team that can handle that, even from a digital marketing standpoint you know, me running leads to someone, if, if it's one agent, it's totally different than me running leads to a top 1% team where they have a hotline that they transfer to the agent via, you know, they either forward the cell phone or hand off exactly. an iPhone that goes around the brokerage and it's always picked up. It's always picked yep. up. 
24-7, right? And so having that type of coverage is so key with leads because no matter how good the lead is, when leads are inquiring online, they expect instant response. Absolutely. That's the thing that agents who've been in the business longer don't get. We're not dealing with the same buyers that we used to. They want information at their fingertips and they want an expert who they can talk to. It's why we win on the phone and why we're going to be able to close more is because if they're doing their market research and then they get to us and we know the property or we've shown the property, we actually have videos. All my agents, if they go show a property like on their own or they're doing a preview, they take a video, they put it in our work chat so that if somebody else uh, comes in on a lead source on the same one, we can just send them the video. So at least they have a preview. I mean, like you can't get better service than that, but you're right. I mean, we have to know that they want extra services and that's what we want to provide. We want to do the things that nobody else does, but also perform as advisors in a way that nobody else does. I love telling people no, just because they're used to everyone saying yes. Like I want to buy this house. Okay. Let's write a contract. Instead you'll hear from me. Why would you, it's as is you have an FHA loan. Like you're not, you're not buying this house. It's a terrible idea. One, you can't do it, but why would you buy as is you're a first time home buyer. You know, they don't get that because a lot of agents have commission breaths. So we're always trying to back it off. And, you know, I tell people like, it's okay to say no to clients. You know, they can't force us to make an offer that I'm not comfortable making. And I say no to writing offers all the time. I'm not sending low balls for fun. You know, if there's 10 offers on a property and somebody wants to offer asking price, I'm not sending it. I already talked to the listing agent. There's 10 offers above asking price. So why would you force me? You don't value my time if you want me to send that in just to prove your point. So, you know, and I think the more you show yourself as an expert, the more respect you get. Will you lose some clients? Sure. Uh, But not sure we're going to be chasing the ones that we lost because they don't like our expertise in the business. That's right. Yeah, absolutely. And it is a, a a bit of a pattern interrupt when you say no. Absolutely. Right? That's a great point. It, it is. Everyone's used to yes, you know, and, and they're used to, isn't this deal great in, in my investing circles, like on bigger pockets and all the other places, they call me the deal killer. Cause I always say it's a terrible deal. And I've made so many friends from someone coming to me on an investment and saying, Hey, look at this. I'm so excited about this. I'm like, if you do this deal, I'm going to punch you in the face. It's the stupidest deal I've ever seen. You're just excited to invest, but you're not actually looking at the deal. It's horrible. Like there's nothing good about it. And then they're like, oh, they just, everybody's excited about real estate, but sometimes you have to get them back to reality before they make a big mistake because those are the people who aren't, you're not getting referrals if you send someone into a property that immediately falls apart when they get in because you're trying to rush them through home inspection. So um, yeah, I think we're on the same page with this stuff. Yeah, no, that's awesome. So I am curious what your team does for digital marketing to both promote listings that you have and then also generate new leads. Yeah, I mean, so I used to owe, I used to spend 500 bucks a month on Facebook, you know, ads all the time. And then we scrapped that. I think that our footprint on social is so good now that now we finally gotten to the level where the leads just come. We don't have to pay extra. I'm not running ads on Instagram. I just create a lot of content. So if I'm consistent on my YouTube, it turns into business. If I'm consistent on Instagram and on our team, Instagram, it brings business. And I think 
you have to do that for a full year of being consistent, like every day, just making sure you're getting good content and, and good content, not canned content. You know, we want really personalized content, not taking stuff from others. So, you know, obviously all are sold, closing, under contract, all that stuff goes right up on all the sources on our Google business page. But I really think that we've transitioned out of overspending what we did before and just creating content that will be evergreen for life on a lot of our YouTube stuff. And I think that's the thing that we're focused on now because it's real when your volume of transaction goes up, then your social feed has to keep up with it. And that becomes very hard when you, before you hire, you know, social media manager, or marketing manager, uh, and we have used marketing companies before. It's just at some point you get to a level where you either need to let them take the full reins or you can do the marketing for free and get it. But I found lots of value in marketing companies that I've worked with before. It's just, I'm also really good at it. So I think it's, it's, it's always going to be something that I bring back into the business when our volume is so high. Um, but for now we're just using unpaid scaling social, I would call it because we're good at social. Yeah. Makes total sense. So I'm curious if you have, any types of tactics that help you when you're feeling overwhelmed or unfocused that help get you back on track and get you back into implementation? Absolutely. It's the aimless walking for me is the key to everything. <laughs> I mean, if you look at some of the biggest creatives of all time, writers specifically, they literally just walk for hours a day. So if I'm feeling like I'm really at the top, like I need a break, I just go outside, walk my dog. I'm going to try to get in at least 20 minutes. The more I walk, the, the, the clearer my head becomes. And I think just getting outside, whether it be in nature or just getting fresh air, it just changes. You know, look at us for two years. We're all sitting in our offices. I still sit in my office at my computer most of the day. So sometimes I need a quick knock on the head to just go outside, walk around the block and come back immediately feel better. I mean, I know when I see people, I always want to say like, yeah, just go around the block. I mean, I think you'll, you'll feel a little better uh, because work can be stressful in, in all areas. And I think that's just a reminder to, you know, just get outside and breathe a little bit, you know, similar oh, to gosh. meditation. This is like the walking kind, you know, could not agree more. Yeah. I, I've gotten into such a habit of it that I now know I need to go for a walk. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, yeah. Um, I heard a personal development talk years ago talked about, you know, the Deloitte building uh, in, in Chicago and how, you know, imagine what the energy is at two or three o'clock after most of those, those people have gone to lunch, maybe gotten a deep dish pizza yeah. and it's two, 3 PM. And, you know, how, what do you think the energy level is from zero being asleep and 10 being completely ecstatic and, and euphoric? Yeah. Probably like a two, right? Yeah. What if they all went on a 15 minute walk around the block? How do you think that they would feel when they came back? And how do you think the energy would be in that building? And in the, in the whole audience is like 10, eight, seven, yeah, yeah, right? Yeah. Like, you know, it has a good effect on your focus, your energy. And Tony Robbins talks about this. It's your physiology. Like that's, that's a big part. It's part of the, the triad he calls it. It's like, what are you focusing on? What's the language that you're using to talk to yourself and to others? And then what's your physical heart rate, your physiology, your current mood? And all of that helps to create your current state. So what a simple thing to be able to instantly say, I want to go for a walk and change my physiology. Instantly, that then has a pulling effect on the others where you might be in a negative headspace or overwhelmed or unfocused. Bam, go for a walk, clear the head. Yeah, 
great tip. Love that. And I, I, I appreciate unconsciously it. do it. Yeah. So it's uh, great. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, is there a question that I should have asked you or anything that you'd like to expand upon from earlier? No, I, I would just say, you know, real estate to me is, is mindset. I mean, most business is mindset. And if you're not ready to work on yourself, you're not going to be ready to work on your business. So I spent a lot of years doing business and just kind of like getting in, like you said, like, this is how you get to aimless walks. You get so into what you're doing that you forget to take the time out. But I think taking care of yourself, both physically and mentally is more important now than ever. You know, it's just, you can't always be good. And if you're not good, you're not going to be good at doing sales or working with clients. So for my agents on my team or my friends, if I see them struggling, like you need a, you need to take a break. You know, the reason that we have a team, we can take care of anything. If somebody needs a mental health break, I'm all for it. Uh, And I think you really have to be more open about where you're at mentally these days, because you're just not going to be at your best. And we want everybody to be at their best because we want the clients to get the best service. And if, if somebody needs a little time out and we can replace them with someone else just for the time being, we're happy to do that. So uh, I just think that, you know, when people think about real estate, they think sales, 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 but you know, when you're running a team and managing agents who you care about and managing clients who you care about, sometimes clients need a timeout. You know, they lose, they lose five offers. You just have to tell them like, let's just take one weekend off. You know, if there's something perfect, I'll send it to you. But like, you feel, I feel like you're annoyed. So let's just give a little breather, just like a walk around the block. Sometimes they need a week off just to reset their expectations. Yeah. Great point. This is a relationship business. Wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. I think it's only a relationship business. The sales come because of the relationships that you build. And if you build relationships, the sales never stop because people come to you because you have the built-in relationships. And that's how referrals work without you having to go chase them. Exactly. And in a relationship, it's important to have autonomy. You cannot take care of the other while not taking care of yourself. It's a basic relationship principle. You need to take care of yourself before you can take care of the other. When you get on a, any plane in, yep. in the world, they say, put the mask Oxygen on yourself mask. before helping children or others, right? Of course. Same concept. So yeah, I like how your team can rotate, fill in and how you even called it a, a mental health break or a mental health, like just go, right? Like just take it off. And yeah. the client, the client aspect of that, I think is a really astute point as well. Um, giving them, having the emotional intelligence, first of all, to acknowledge it not have that commission breath, like, oh, yeah. we're so close. We just lost five offers, but right. But like, hey, I think you guys need a break. I mean, why don't you just go do a staycation, chill out, exactly. let you know if anything comes up. But yeah, let's let's regroup in two weeks, you know? And, and I think that's, that's a very astute point. So how can listeners contact you? Uh, well, you can find, so our Instagram if for me is trust green with an E at the end. And then the team is streamlined with a D properties can find me all over at that trust green and also on YouTube. I think it's Jonathan green with an E R E that's our YouTube. Uh, but if you want a direct email, you can email my team success manager. will get it to me at info at streamlined with a D dot properties. Yeah. I really appreciate being on. I think like these conversations are really important for real estate agents, personnel advisors, because it's not always about the sales. So to be able to talk about other things that make up the business and create a more mindful approach, you know, I think that's where we need to take the business to help the agents. I mean, it's a tough business. Like we started with, uh, if you don't have your mindset set for it, 
it's going to be a long ride or a really short one right out of the business. <laughs> Great point. Jonathan Green, everyone. He has an awesome team in New Jersey. And I really appreciate you being on talking about some very important principles that will help not only keep real estate professionals successful, but also build a better reputation for real estate professionals as a whole, which used to be a part of your mission. And real estate professionals can live a happier life. So amazing conversation. Really, really appreciate having you on. Yeah, Jeffrey, really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you want to accomplish your real estate goals, then I highly suggest downloading my free ultimate real estate goal setting framework. The link is in the description of the show and it will help you break down your annual income goal into the amount of phone calls, appointments, or open houses you need in order to achieve that goal. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.